Real Leaders, how are we doing? I've got some great news for you all today. I went online to our YouTube channel, scrolled down through the archive, and pulled out an interesting interview from Dr. Judd Brewer, someone who's got 20 years of addiction psychiatry experience doing research at places I would never even dream of, such as Brown, Yale, and MIT, who's seen it all, studied it all, and is just a fantastic human being. So I'm really excited for you all to dive into this episode. But before we begin, this is on a personal note. As I've had multiple family members go through addiction, it's not an easy thing. It's the substance, not them. And there are things that they can do, though, to make changes. Whether it's becoming more self-aware, whether it's through having a support system, how do we make long-lasting changes? change in somebody to reach their full potential that's what dr judd brewer has been studying his entire life and he's so legit after this interview i told him hey judd, dr judd i want to surf he had me doing surf burpees because that's how you start folks so it's my pleasure to welcome to you dr judd brewer the founder of drjudd.com enjoy and welcome everyone to the Real Leaders Podcast with Keys from keynote speakers here at the Agents of Change Summit. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Judd Brewer, uh, the Director of Research and Innovation at the Mindfulness Center and the founder of Mind Sciences. Judd, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So when I found out that I was going to be interviewing you, I was thinking about habits. And the first quote that popped into my head was, Seek first to understand and then be understood. So, Judd, the first question I have for you today is, what hypothesis did you seek and what do you understand about how habits are formed in our brain? Yeah, the hypothesis that I sought was, like, what makes people tick? Why do people struggle with behavior change? And why is it so hard for them to change behavior? Sure. So the hypothesis was, um, you know, let's understand how people's minds work and then help them work with them. So explain to our viewers how the average habit is formed. It's actually a relatively simple process. There are three core steps, a trigger, a behavior, and a reward or a result. So if we see food, that's the trigger. We eat the food, that's the behavior. And then our stomach sends this dopamine signal to our brain that says, remember what you ate and where you found it. Mm. Uh, so that's an evolutionarily conserved process that's set up to help us remember where food is. Yet in modern day, we use it for everything from stress eating to smoking to anxiety. Okay, so that's the next question I want to ask you is, what's the difference between like a habit that's formed and addiction? So to me, how I, have, has, how I have had addiction explained is a repetitive compulsive use of a substance despite adverse consequences. So I could be addicted to caffeine or apples, but I'm not going to lie about it or cheat about it or anything like that. So... Maybe explain to our audience about what addiction means to you and how, what's its role in habit formation. Yeah, as an addiction psychiatrist, I learned in my residency training oh, the simple uh, question, the simple definition of continued use despite adverse consequences. So it sounds very similar to yours. Okay. Uh, so whatever we're doing, it could be our smartphone, it could be food, it could be cigarettes. If it's continued use 
despite adverse consequences to the point where like we can't stop ourselves from doing it, it likely falls into the addiction category. This is also, you know, you can think of texting while driving is now more dangerous than drunk driving. Sure. Yeah. So there's a continued use where people can't stop themselves from texting while they're driving, despite adverse consequences, car accident. Okay, interesting. So along this journey, like what's the type of research that you've been doing and what are some examples that come to your mind that could really help our viewers change their, their habit formation? We started with really trying to understand how people's minds worked. And this is actually where it came back to some of these old uh, theories around operate conditioning or positive and negative okay. reinforcement. It turns out that it actually goes all the way back to some ancient Buddhist psychology from 2,500 years ago where they were describing the same thing that folks like B.F. Skinner and other behaviors were describing in the 50s seems to have gotten lost somewhere because in you know I'd learned about it in college but didn't really think that much of it until I was really struggling to help my patients in in my clinic and I was like wait a minute this explains so much from you know from eating when we're stressed as compared to when we're hungry to taking pills to numb our emotional or physical pain to looking at cute pictures of puppies on Instagram when we're bored you know all that's at, uh, that's at play. So when, once we kind of identified that, we looked to see what could actually target this very, very specifically. And this is where it, it actually comes down to something really, really simple, which is awareness. And what that suggests is that actually awareness can trump things like self-control. Self-control is based on the youngest and the weakest part of our brain. It goes offline when we get stressed. We can't trust it to change behavior because if we could, then we would all just change our behaviors. The obesity epidemic wouldn't be an epidemic. The opioid epidemic wouldn't be an epidemic. We would just tell ourselves to stop and we would stop. But in fact, we're not looking at how our brains work. So if we can actually move from willpower into actually tapping into this really strong reward-based learning system, we can help people change behavior that way. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. Um, in some of our smoking studies. So we got five times the quit rates of gold standard treatment with helping people pay attention to their behavior and then also bring in some simple mindfulness practices to work with cravings. And the way we do that is we have them pay attention as they smoke and they realize that smoking doesn't taste very good. That taps into that core reward-based learning system because the reward is what drives future behavior. And if it's not rewarding, that reward value drops and so they stop, you know, it's much easier okay. for them to change the behavior. We found we can actually build some of these tools right into our digital therapeutics where we can deliver app, this stuff through apps. And within 10 to 15 uses of these craving tools, we call them, we see that reward value significantly drop um, and it helps people really change the behavior. Okay, so awareness uh, will trump this, this self-control. Uh, self okay, and these reward base. Okay, so what about in different communities? I mean, I... I is there a difference between people in lower socioeconomic areas that might have uh, more difficulties changing their behavior based off of this awareness and the surrounding elements? It, yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, in work led by Ashley Mason at UCSF, uh, they found that these app-based digital therapeutics are work across socio-demographic um, boundaries. So there's no you know, it works for this group and not this group. Doesn't because discriminate. We all okay. share the same uh, reward-based learning systems. The environment might be different, but the same habit loop is still there for everyone. Are there any biological factors that where someone might be more prone to becoming an addict? Certainly, I think people have some genetic predispositions where they be, mm. might be more likely to get caught up in craving than others. The thing is, we don't, we can't really change those genetics, so we can actually target. Um, the process that they are affecting, which is this reward-based learning system. Okay, so this awareness factor. Uh, you mentioned when someone's smoking a cigarette, you said 
just think about how it tastes. Mm -hmm. What about some other different factors, such as opioid use or people that don't really realize that they have a problem with drinking? What type of people do you need in your life? Do you need a support system that can come in? I mean, not everyone can go see a doctor every single day. Right. What would you do? Right. And that's actually why we developed these digital therapeutics. I realized that people don't learn to smoke in my office. They don't learn to stress eat in my office. They don't learn to use opioids in my office. So if we're actually trying to treat them in my office, we're treating them outside of their context. So can we actually bring my office, package it into a you know, package this evidence-based training into a digital therapeutic and deliver it to them so they can start to work with these triggers and work with their habit loops in context. Okay. So in theory, are you, are you replacing that habit with this digital habit as well, this digital platform habit? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Um, so, you know, because so many people are addicted to their smartphones. Sure. We're not actually, we're helping them replace it with something that's intrinsic, something that isn't based in a phone, something isn't based outside of them, but actually that's based right inside of them. And what we find is that curiosity and kindness are intrinsic to all of us. We just have to uh, dust them off and, and warm them up and use them a little bit because often you know, we forget what it's like to be curious. But curiosity actually feels much better than a craving, for example. Kindness feels much better than judging ourselves mm-hmm. or, or judging other people. And so we can help our, you know, I think of this as helping people find that bigger, better offer. So if kindness is a bigger, better offer than self-judgment and they can see that clearly, then that's going to start to drive a new behavior, a new habit of being kind ourselves and being kind to others. Same for curiosity. If we indulge a craving and realize we get this brief relief by smoking a cigarette or overeating or eating a donut or whatever, um, and we realize we can actually be curious about that craving itself, and the curiosity itself feels good, and it also feels good not to overeat or not to eat a bunch of junk food, those, those, habits, those old habits get replaced with these bigger, better offers that actually lead to healthier and happier lives. Okay, and the app, the app is called what for our viewers? Is it Mind Science or? We have, so I have a bunch of resources on my website, drjud.com, drjud.com, but we've got three apps. One's called Craving to Quit for smoking, uh, eat right now for eating, uh, for stress and emotional eating and overeating, and then unwinding anxiety for anxiety. Okay, great. And then this is going to take a lot of leadership to uh, really be an agent of change, to change people's habits, formation, and sustain that, um, where we see with the, the crack epi- epidemic, now with the opioid epidemic. Uh, what type of leadership is needed to, you know, from industry leaders, from people like yourselves, other doctors in your community to take this on? I think we need, you know, enlightened leaders where they're really seeing really clearly what the problems are and are not just trying to, you know, force solutions that they think are best onto people, but really go into the communities, understand what the needs are, and also understand how people's minds work. If they can really understand, well, if they can start by understanding their own minds, Mm -hmm. they'll be able to empathize with others and understand how their minds work. And on an individual level, that will help them really be able to lead effectively. Well, I'm excited to see this play out, uh, especially within the uh, the workspace. Uh, just me being uh, someone, the person that can easily get addicted to, to going on their emails and, and being aware of uh, my choices and decisions. Just been a pleasure having you on the show today. The last question I have for you today is, what is your definition of a real leader? What's my definition of a real leader? That's a great question. I would, the word humility comes to mind. So, I mean, there's so many different qualities probably for a real leader, but I would say if they're not if, if they don't have humility as a foundation, 
I think it would be tough to be a real leader. Well, Judd, appreciate you coming on the show. Talked about a lot today. Talked about uh, the formation of habits. What is addiction? What is non-addiction? Are all addictions bad? The power of awareness today. And then wrapped up with your definition of a leader. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show today. For Dr. Judd Brewer, I'm Kevin Edwards. Asking you to go out there, have some humility. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Judd. Appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you, good people, for listening to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Dr. Judd Brewer. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And folks, if you haven't yet left a review, please, if you're on iTunes, scroll all the way down to the bottom on the channel and rate and review the show to let other people know what to expect when they land on this channel, folks, it's what keeps this show going. And I'd love to know what you all think about it. So please, by all means, if you're on Apple Podcasts, hit the back button, scroll all the way down to the bottom, folks. Just keep scrolling until you see those stars. Hit them stars and let us know what you think of this episode. That's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader, folks. And stay tuned for the next episode.